Welcome to Regold's Dance Life Podcast for dance teachers and dance studio owners who have a passion for the art of dance. Hello, welcome to Regold's Dance Life Podcast. My name is Stacey Morgan and joining me is the wonderful Regold. Hey, Ray. Hello, Miss Stacey. Nice to be with you this week. Yes, always good to be with you, Ray, and especially at this time of year. Don't you just love the holidays? I do, and I I honestly am feeling the vibe. I don't know that it ever came last year through the whole really bad COVID time, but this year I'm I'm feeling the vibe and and appreciate it. I think we all need a break, and and this is something to (laughs) remind us that it's coming our way soon. (laughs) Absolutely. And today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Soul. An incredible conference for dance parents, for dance-ers, for dance teachers that is happening next year, next summer, when the weather warms up a little bit. Tell us about Soul, Ray. Okay, I uh, am so excited. Just created what I'll call the tentative schedule for Soul. Soul is a soul-centered event for dancers, their parents, and teachers. Um, It's a non-competitive event focused on showing dancers, parents as well, teachers as well, that the dance journey is more than just pursuing a professional career. All of the things that a child gains through the process of dance, all of the lessons that kids learn that they're going to use for the rest of their lives. We're going to focus in on educating about dance. Also, we have higher ed uh, college and universities that are going to come and talk with the kids and do panel discussions about dance programs or minors in dance. We're going to show them the kids how dance can not necessarily be a performing career, but could lead you into a great dance therapy career or a dance critic career, that there's so much more out there. I think uh, dance for the last several years, workshops, they're focused on everybody striving to be the best or better than. I want to say we all love dance and we're in one place together. And how are we going to share that passion and how are we going to use it for the rest of our lives, even if we can't do nine pirouettes? Oh. Ooh, that was a long answer to your question. But. Yeah, but I love it. I and absolutely you, cannot wait. It's happening July uh, 27 to 29 in Connecticut. And you, it's it's going to be for everyone. There's going to be something for everyone. And the way that you're so excited about it, Ray, makes me excited about it too. So I'm looking forward to it. I am, uh, and I'm sure our listeners can tell, I, I have this like sense of excitement because this is something I thought about for a while and actually making it happen and hanging out with the faculty and strategizing the event. This is like, oh, Okay, here we go. This is going to be a dream come true. I cannot wait. And speaking of a dream come true, we are heading into a brand new year, a fresh year, hopefully a year with less challenges than the last couple, right, Ray? 
I would say I am hoping for that 100%. But I'm prepared for anything, as most of our listeners are as well, I'm sure. And so today we wanted to talk about the things that we've learned from the last couple of years and reflect on the year that has been and talk about how we're going to do next year differently, how we're going to move into the new year with a new mindset. I'm with you on that. I I guess I'd like to begin this conversation by saying I feel like when the season started this year, and most uh, U.S. studios, some Canadian studios, and I I believe also in Australia, we thought kids were going to come back and be so enthusiastic. They were going to come back and be ready to work hard and dance those eight hours a week, and their parents were going to be excited to be back. And although everybody's grateful, to be dancing again. I'm not sure the kids are the same. Mm. I'm not sure their needs are the same. The parents are the same. So yeah, I I look at these last, for us, four or five months of the season, three or four months at this point, and I say, okay, there was a lot to learn here. What changes do we need to make in this new world culture? that exists out there. Uh, do you feel that, What? how I describe what's going on with the kids in your end of the world? Absolutely. I, I And I feel the same. I feel like after we had, you know, here in Australia, we had several different lockdowns. You guys kind of did it all in one big chunk and then you had kind of a big reopening. We we went up and down and up and down and up and down. And, and during that period, every time that we came back, the same as you, I thought, you know, everybody's going to be keen to work. Everybody's going to be ready to commit. Everybody's going to be, you know, all in because they've missed it. But what we actually found was some, some were like that and that was great, but it wasn't the majority. There were a lot of kids who had had a break and who enjoyed that break. There are a lot of kids that, you know, didn't have to go to dance every afternoon and so found new activities to go to. Um, some found boyfriends that they <laughs> wanted to spend time with instead. That they didn't know they needed. Yeah, right. And so that that feeling, and it was not just for me, for my faculty as well, we really had this expectation that everyone was going to come back and it was going to be um, just full steam ahead. And that actually wasn't wasn't the case. And so over the last couple of months, heading into our new year, so we start our new season um, at the end of January, we really have made some big changes to the way that we do things that we never thought. We, we've we've stepped down on policies and procedures that were like, this is the way it is at, at PMPA, this is just how we do it. And we have completely changed those because the market is different. The kids are different. Our, our intensity... So we- for our listeners who struggle with, let's say, adjusting because they have a standard, mm. go a little deeper on your ability to do to do that without feeling like you're lowering your standard. So I'll give you the example that I was thinking about when I was talking. We have always had a rule that competition dancers need to do two ballet classes a week, and that has been our standard 
you know, since we started the business. And everybody has kind of fallen into that and that has been fine. But over the last two years, we have really struggled with our kids who are 14, 15, 16 years old and above to get them to those two classes. They know that that's the rule. They know that that's the expectation. But honestly, we've spent so much time and energy chasing those kids, organizing makeup classes, calling the parent, why weren't they at class this week? You know, getting upset ourselves, you know, you know, Friday comes around and we're standing at the door tapping our foot and, and, you know, that child doesn't come through the door again. And then, you know, then we're on the group chat saying, can you believe she didn't come again? Like it was, it was exhausting. And so we decided that because it was across, across the board, it had been happening for a few years prior to COVID, but COVID really kind of um, cemented it for us. And we had, you know, we lost several of our senior students because, that commitment was just too much. So we've we've changed the rules a little bit. We've said we've we've now decided that we're going to when they get to 13 14 years normally they would be going along um, with a curriculum where they were participating in ballet exams all the way through until they graduate. But the uptake wasn't huge. So we would have, you know, 10 kids in a ballet class and there'd be four of them doing the exam. And, you know, then the other six would be the six that we'd be chasing to to attend, to come. So what we decided to do for next year is that, or for next season, is we're going to provide two technique classes a week. Um, and in those classes, we can choose whether we're doing ballet technique, jazz technique, contemporary technique, whatever we're going to do, but it'll be a technique. And there's no, like, there's no performance that comes out of it. There's no exam that comes out of it. There's no assessment. It's just fun and attendance. And so for those senior students, we have ballet classes that if they want to do the ballet exams, they can still attend. But then everybody else can jump in that technique class. And already I've got 20 kids enrolled for that technique class that's happening twice a week. And what is what it has meant for us is that we know that next year we're not going to have to spend time chasing those kids. You know, those technique classes have teachers that they love teaching them and they're, they're going to turn up. And also for us, it's meant that our that our schedule has changed in that instead of offering, we, we used to offer something like 14 ballet classes for that age group a week. We now are offering six. So our timetable ah. has dramatically reduced our, my staffing costs are dramatically reducing and it means that our intensive kids can get all of their classes and all of their requirements to do their performance team work done on two days rather than three days. So our enrolment for that performance team has actually increased because now the kids who would normally want to focus on their school studies and would drop out when they got to 16, 17 are choosing to stay. So it's been a complete change of the way that we do things due to COVID and and due to that lack of enthusiasm that we were finding from the kids. But what we've been able to do is work it around. So it's actually been a pro, like been a plus for the studio, a plus for the teachers and everyone's really excited about it. Probably a plus for the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't say that because I don't think they that a strong dancer shouldn't be in two ballet classes a week. But if that's not what they want, we can't force them. Mm. We've been trying. We can, <laughs> we can we can do our best to make them love it. Yeah. But if it's gonna deter them, 
or that's going to be the determination whether they stick to the program or not. Mm. Maybe it is time to make adjustments. Your example is awesome, but I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners who have programs that have particular policies that maybe it's time for change. Mm. And to feel okay about that change. I mean, it's, yes, it's a lot of work to, to come up with what it's going to look like and, and whether that's going to be enough and, and how it's going to work in terms of your schedule and your teachers. And, you know, are you going to, you know, annoy any of your teachers who are now going to lose out on those out? Like there's a lot of things that go into it. But if you stick by the, you know, this is the way we've always done it, so we have to continue doing it this way mentality, then you will lose out on those kids. And and also, at the end of the day, it's not going to benefit your business. You want to be making decisions, flexible decisions, that are going to help move your business forward, especially during this time. You're right. And you made a statement there that I think is really important. Uh, what worked five years ago does not work today. Mm. The world is moving so much faster. My mother was of the generation whose response would be, it ain't broke. What do we need to (laughs) fix? But the reality is we live in a world that is evolving and changing way faster than it was 30 years ago. And I think we need to evolve in our expectation, philosophy, why we do what we do. And also, uh, this is um, taking us into another place. I wanted to ask this question. I was going to skip it, but I'll ask. Does anything bother you on the inside that maybe the quality of your dancer won't be as strong. And if you do, do you not even worry about that? It does. Like, it's not something I haven't thought about. I've definitely thought about it. But I would rather have 10 enthusiastic, keen, not as technical dancers in the studio who I love and who love dance than six really technically proficient kids (laughs) who, you know, and four kids that are down at the, at the milk bar, like, because they're not coming to dancing or they're going and um, doing a different sport or something. It's, yeah, it's, for me, it's how can I make this as an enjo- as enjoyable a, po- a possible experience for the kids whilst also, you know, doing that delicate balance that so many studio owners do? How do I make sure that the kids are being challenged? How, how do I make sure those kids who want a career are getting the, the hours that they need? They're getting the intensity that they need at that time. And also, how do I keep it fun so that I can keep everybody involved? And I want the kids to stay to graduation. I want them to have that big graduation moment. I don't want them to drop out two years before just because Miss Stacy's being a stickler and saying, you have to come to ballet on a Friday night. They don't want to come to ballet on a Friday night. They want to go to a party. <laughs> no, and as an older person... I might respond to a student, oh, but I rehearsed every Friday night all through high school. Yeah, right. But it, but now in reality, I look back at that and I go, was that really the best thing we could have done? <laughs> <laughs> but back then, that was the mentality. You mm. wanted to be in this group or participate in this rehearsals of Friday night. Yep. And you'd make a commitment 
and your parents would make it with you, mm-hmm. it's it's a different world. It is. And but that, I'm, I'm guilty that. of that, Ray. I, you know, kids that they've got exams at school and they miss dance. And I think, I didn't miss dance when I had an exam at school. Absolutely not. I was there every single time and I did okay. But, yeah. Yeah, we would have been told you have to learn to balance it. You mm-hmm. have to be able to do both. And I think they do. But I also think that at this, you know, in this time when they've already gone through so much, the more grace that we can give them and the more leniency in order to keep them in the program, we, we sometimes have to have to just suck it up, don't we? Yes, yes. And let all ego go out of the picture. Do what's best for your kids, the future of your business, and feel a satisfaction in the joy and happiness that is present in your studio and the enthusiasm. Because to me, that's the most valuable thing. And that's that's what's the most valuable to growing a business as well. Mm. Speaking of growing the business, Ray, I had the opportunity because it's the end of my year and we've just had our recital to get on stage and to say thank you to the you know the team and to the te- the parents and the kids and everyone for supporting us, supporting the business. And I think, like you guys are in the middle of your season, so. I would be encouraging you during this time to start thinking about ways in which you can do that now in the middle of your season rather than waiting to your big speech at the recital or to, you know, your end of year message or end of season message. Because I think during this time, we have been supported by those dance families. We have been supported by our team through a whole, you know, heap of changes and a whole heap of uncertainty and I think that's something that I'm going to take into the new year more as how, how can I show that appreciation that I have for the people who support my business throughout the year, not just at the end of the year? I'm uh, with you 100%. It was actually someplace that I wanted to take us. I, I feel that the needs and wants of our faculty and staff, just like we talked about earlier, what our students need, what their families need. I think they've changed a little bit. I think there needs to be uh, communication like there's never been before, but also uh, a support system because we talked about the kids who aren't the same, maybe who are dealing with um, mental health issues that we've never had to focus in on or or found ourselves dealing with. Our faculty and staff need support. We Mm. need to understand that they're, they're really the front line to, I'll call it, kids' negative attitudes, a parent who's stressed out in life, so therefore comes into the lobby and takes it out on a faculty person or a staff person behind the desk. Mm -hmm. They need more support than we have needed to offer in the past. I'm not saying we were doing wrong. I'm saying yes in this new world as we approach a new year supporting them on a consistent basis 
which you said, uh, not just at the recital, because in the old days, that might have been the only time that uh, we would recognize our faculty. Mm, I, absolutely. I, I think I think it's a all the time thing and that we should almost be thinking on a monthly basis each month of the new season. How will we come up with a way to offer them support, whether it's educating them, hanging out and talking to them just every month, something that says, you know, we appreciate you. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think learning your faculty and team members love languages is really important when it comes to showing them appreciation, because I know that that for me, words of affirmation you know, if you tell me that I've done a good job, I can run on that for a couple of weeks. But I've got team members that you can tell every day of the week, four times a day that they're doing a great job and they don't hear it. You buy them a bunch of flowers and they're good to go. So I think that learning about your team point. members and then being able to work in your your appreciation in to suit their love language so that they... Um, and if you don't know about The Love Languages, it's a fabulous book by Gary Chapman. Please look into it. And he's got a great book that's also also called Showing Appreciation in the Workplace, How the Five Love Languages Work in the Workplace. Get that as well because it's so good, especially for this kind of stuff. Just being able to show them that you care and that you see them and that, that the work that they are doing is valued is really, really important. But you want to do that in the way that's going to have the most impact. Because if you sit down and if you want to take somebody out for coffee for 60 minutes and, and you know, talk to them and see how they're going, for somebody who is really busy and that's not their love language, they're just going to find that really annoying. <laughs> and they're going to be like, why are you wasting my time? I've got things to do <laughs> during that time. Whereas you feel like you're, you know, you're doing what you would like done to you. So um, really, really do a little bit of research in that. And if you don't know what they are, ask them or do a pop quiz or, you know, ask them, what have I done for you in the last 12 months that, that you really appreciated, that made you feel appreciated? And they'll tell you. And then, you know. I love just hitting them with that question. Yeah. Because what if, what if somebody came back and said nothing? Yeah. Well, that's a good lesson in itself. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And I'm like, oh. Oh. <laughs> so almost anything I do now will be okay, right? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, during this time, Ray, as well, I've been investing heavily in my staff training. So, um, you know. Describe well, staff training for our listeners. Well, much like the love languages, Ray, it's different for every team member. And we've been lucky that your last two conferences have been, you've had an online um, component. So for some team members who love to learn and love to, to mix up what they're doing in the classroom and to always have fresh ideas, getting them access to your conference has been, you know, a perfect example of staff development that they've done. However, there are some members on my team that I could gift that to and they would just be completely overwhelmed with it and think, she wants me to do all this work and I don't know when I'm going to fit it in. And I so those staff members and the ones I'm thinking of, they they much prefer one-on-one. So I there's a great leadership coach who's here in town um, and also does Zoom work. Um, in my local area and so she's been working one-on-one with with two different staff members for the for this year that I've been investing in and she's she's not chief she's a leadership coach but you know investing 
that couple of thousand dollars in each of those team members for that every fortnight they see that leadership coach one-on-one and they get to work through whatever they're working on in their world and it doesn't have to be studio related but I find that I get a great you know return on my investment in the classroom because if they've had that time to work through you know whatever's going on with their flatmates or whatever's going on with their mother or, or whatever's going on in their world, the person that turns up to work at four o'clock that afternoon to teach the kids is often in a better headspace and in a better position to be able to serve those kids in the way that I want them to in my studio. So the the range of support that I've been given giving them over the last couple of years differs for each person, but I, I have been trying my best to, to figure out what works and what is going to be a good investment and and go down that path for them. It's interesting because the next thing I was thinking about, but you just discussed it in a different way. Um, Mental health Mm. and making sure that they are. uh, Okay. That we are, that they're okay, that we're serving their mental health. And that goes for our students. We could talk about that afterwards. But you're, what kind of coach did you just say? I lost the word. She's a leadership coach. Yeah, leadership coach. It's like, wow, okay. You're, you're um, feeding the mind something that's going to help them to grow, not only for your business, and they'll be in a much better place after they've had the session, but for their own lives. Absolutely. Their own personal well-being. Yep. And I love my team members. So that, like investing in that for them, which is something that they wouldn't invest in for themselves. They would think, no, I'm fine. I don't, you know, I've got this. But that, you know, I don't just want them to be great teachers. I want them to have the opportunity to be the very best people that they can be. And i love them dearly and so that's just that's just something that I've found that really it it really is a great investment for me as a studio owner very cool so uh I'm going to take us here and then I want to go back to that you said it earlier appreciating the parents and their support and talk a little bit about that but When I say to you and our listeners, I think we need to be more aware of the mental health of our students. Are you in agreement? Oh, 100%. They are dealing with challenges that we, you know, we joked before about when I was, when I was younger, I didn't miss a Friday night class, but the things that they're dealing with now, uh, we have no comprehension of what that would have done to our teenage brains and the teenage brains and the hormones and everything that's going on with them is complicated enough without the addition of, of COVID and is missing out on events and um, being disconnected from family members and all of the stuff that they're dealing with currently. So being really aware of, of where they are mentally and, and how we as dance teachers can support them on their journey is really, really important. And communicating with them. It doesn't always have to be movement for the three hours that are there. Mm. Actually communicating on what they're feeling, how they're feeling, asking them how they feel doing the choreography, just sort of letting them express with adults what they're feeling. And then uh, I know... 
this is a little conniving, but then we know our students and we can incorporate their feelings into the movement and the music that we use. Yes. And, and I don't know, I, I feel like when I was growing up and I had to go to teacher training and I had to learn how to educate, nobody ever talked about any of this stuff. No, no, definitely I mean, not. And, and we had issues. We just ignored them. Uh, anorexia, bulimia, and different things that were going on. Kids who were... Uh, had no confidence in themselves or competing with other dancers. We had our issues, mm. but nobody talked about them and they weren't as prevalent. I actually think that we're now in new territory where we as educators have to know more to be better practitioners in mm. our classroom as far as mental health goes. Yeah. Brene Brown talks about the two-word check-in. She, When she lectures at university, she always starts her classes. Whether she's got, you know, 10 kids in the room or 100 kids in the room, she always starts with a two-word check-in. You go around the circle or you go through, you know, down the row and you ask for a two-word check-in. And she talks about how she brings that up in other organizations and people always say, oh, no, I can't do that. What if somebody says, you know, sad and depressed? What if they're there? Those are the two words. And she said, yeah, but you're going to be teaching the class anyway. So isn't it better that you know that that person's having a bad day than you know that they don't? And it's not like you ask for the two word check in and then you dive deeper with that person in front of the whole group. But knowing that they're feeling that way, you know, during the drink break, you can go over to them and say, is there anything that I can help you with? What's going on in your world? You know, and support them in that way. And that two-word check-in really, is a game you, changer. You think about it. Didn't it take a lot for that person to actually give you an honest answer? Mm -hmm. And isn't that more valuable than the one who's smiling and faking it and saying... Oh, wonderful and joyful. Yeah. Okay. And and they're really not that way. Yeah. Me, I think it takes more courage for the person to say depressed and a little upset, mm. you know? Yeah. That's guts. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also it 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 is a great in. They're giving you an in to step into their world and to to be that leader mentor teacher that we talk about so much. So I would encourage studio owners in the new year to not shy away from those conversations, to do the two word check-in, to see how they're feeling and then to, to do what you can. And, you know, from a business perspective, that's, that's from a human perspective, but from a business perspective as well, what we do is about building relationships. Kids who have relationships with us are not going to leave. So it's, it's good for your retention as well as it is for you making human connection. You want to connect with these kids. You want them to to know that you are somewhere that they can go where they feel loved and supported. For so many of our students, that's exactly why they come to dance. Might be the only place in their world that they feel loved and supported. Uh, bingo, I agree 100%. <laughs> and wouldn't it be just a cool world if every studio owner and every teacher thought about their classroom being that safe haven. Mm. It would change the dance world. 
It's a safe haven for every kid, regardless of your skill level, regardless of whether you're going to be a dancer or you're going to win an award. Just these doors, when you walk in, this is a safe haven for everybody who loves to move their body. Yep. What a beautiful mentality change. I love that. I love that. Here's one more mentality change. I know we're probably running on the end, but I want to say this. Uh, and this is hard for some people, but those parents that are in our studios, um, I've heard lots of stories about parents who are more stressed than normal, Mm. will notice something minor in the studio and it becomes a major incident. Mm. That hurts the studio owner and the teacher who have been trying so hard to keep this business going and have uh, really struggled to keep, keep the business alive. And then somebody finds something minor and complains or a parent has an opinion on your choreography or just whatever that we all deal with on a daily basis. Two or three years ago, I would have said to you, well, you you should stand up for yourself. And, you know, if a parent's going to ask you about or or question your choreography, maybe your first answer should be, so when was your last piece of choreography and how did it go? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I look at it differently now. Mm. Meaning... That person, maybe not the choreography example, but that person who's complaining about that minor issue, she's going through or he's going through everything you're going through pressure-wise, dealing with all that COVID has brought. But they believe dance is important. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the studio. Mm -hmm. So can we go towards next year going, I accept that this person is stressed and is, excuse me, bitching at me, but I know deep in my soul, this isn't about me or the student. Mm. Beautiful mindset shift. Could we just go with that? Or I'm really sorry you feel that way. We are working really hard and I will try to improve that. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yep. yep. Case closed. Yeah. Sometimes that works. Yeah. It's called a mea culpa. I have done it a couple of times in my life where, yes, I'm about to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody. But instead of making the 10 points to prove them wrong, I'm just going to say, you know what? You gave me a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. And I'm going to work harder the next time. And listen, when that's over, you don't stay up at night because of this awful conversation that you had. You just move on and you actually feel pretty good. And so does the other person. Suck it in. Don't let them get to you. You have survived. You have managed to 
keep the doors open, keep kids dancing. That should give you enough confidence to know if that toilet problem that they're complaining <laughs> about is really not that important. Yeah. Beautiful way to end, Trey. Awesome. I love it. I want to say uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. And let's go into 24 just sort of. Hang on a second. Are we going into 24? Have I missed two years? Oh, did I say 24? (laughs) I can't believe I said it. No, we missed two years. Two years. (laughs) You can cut that out. I'm anxious to see if that stays in. Uh, (laughs) No, I'm going to leave it in. Uh, But like we just skipped. We just back to the future. (laughs) That's me. I once, uh, I'm an MC for a uh, title dance competition, Miss Dance of New England. And in 2016 or something, I get on the microphone. I do not know why I did it. I said, the new Miss Dance, 1996. Like I went 20 years back. (laughs) 30 years back and I had no idea why that came out of my mouth so uh I'm trying to save myself from such a funny thing okay 2022 think less stress think I'm gonna avoid these situations that will be easy to avoid if I can pull my ego out of it if I cannot feel hurt Because you know, you can't say someone made you mad. You made the choice to get mad Mm. at what someone said or did. That's a philosophy I believe in. Mm. I catch myself by saying, or catch myself saying, wow, I can't believe she did that to me. And I go, no, I'm allowing this to be because I could think of this differently and she didn't do anything. That's a good uh, way to close this out. Um, So those of you listening, 2022, enjoy the journey more than ever. Take care. Thank you for joining us for Regold's Dance Life Podcast. Learn more about joining the International Dance Entrepreneurs Association, the Dance Life Teacher Conference, and the Dance Life Retreat Center at regold.com. Or follow Regold's Dance Life on Facebook. Enjoy the journey. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 